I'll preach a one-off sermon this morning to you, a text that's beloved by me, and I hope it will be to all of you, increasingly all through your lives, from the book of Nahum and chapter 1 and verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. All right, three things God wants you to know from the book of Nahum. The Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And he knows those, he cares for those who put their trust in him. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. In the conference one summer, 1,200 people here, people are taken ill and they go to the hospital and I have a message, uh, or they're staying, their friends are going back home and uh, can you go and uh, visit them in hospital? And uh, so I went to a family from the Long Last Mission near Swansea and uh, she'd had a stroke there and she was lying in hospital with her, with her husband and I spoke to them, deeply devout uh, Christian people. The Lord is good, I said to them, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. And uh, she didn't make a, a, a recovery, but he came to the conference by himself for some years afterwards, and he'd see me and he'd come on to me and he'd say, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that trust in him. When I visit uh, the hospital, that verse often comes to me. Um, when there's somebody in a seven bedder that I speak to, or from somebody from the church, and I wander around the other beds to see how the people are, and if they've got no visitors. I can leave them with that verse because I can say that verse to everyone, can't I? Jehovah is good. You see the capitals there? Jehovah. He's good. There's no darkness in him. There's no cosmic malice whatsoever in God. No evil intentions in anything he permits or decrees. No ill will in God. He's not 95% good, but occasionally he's provoked to do something that hurts us. There's no impurity in God. There's absolute benevolence, absolute integrity, absolute kindness, measureless attractiveness and beauty in God. The Lord is good. He's good in his being, in his essence, in his character. In everything that he does. No matter how you may creep up on him. No matter how you may look at God. He has no past for which he is ashamed. There's no darkness. He doesn't cast a shadow on anything that he does. He has no prerogatives in which he is other than good. When he chastens us. And whom the Lord loves, he does chasten. And when he disciplines us, 
and like a good father will discipline his children because he wants them to be mature and thoughtful and not just say me, me, me all the time. He is good in his judgments. God is good. In the depth of his being, he's good. I said, you go in and in and in and in and into him. And all you will find is his goodness. There's not a little room somewhere which has a, a little cupboard and there's a little box in it and there's a little drawer in that box and when you open it you find something bad, something dark and ominous, pops. nothing like that at all. He is only good. There are spots on the sun, but there, there's no spots on God, no shadow of turning in God. Take his own light of his own knowledge of himself, of his own holiness, and shine that light through God like a searchlight. Examine every part of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all you will find in God is that he is good. There's no inconsistencies. There are no weakness under pressure. When we do things, the silliest and daftest things, we don't provoke him so that then he does something and then he regrets it afterwards. There are no sins of omission in God, no deviation from the Ten Commandments in Almighty God, no faults that he doesn't know about as there are with us. Jesus doesn't have to tell the Father, I think you've gone a bit too far here. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to weep over things that the Father does. The Lord is good. There's a goodness from God for which every one of you and everyone in with everyone in the world is a beneficiary. A goodness that extends to every part of God's creation and to every human being. None excluded at all. There's a great chant in Genesis 1, God saw that it was good. It was good. The firmament, the sun and moon, the stars also, the seas and the dry land, the birds and the fish, the animals and the man, and man that God made originally when he made it, before the fall of man into sin, it was all good. There's a universal goodness that God has shown now since the flood. And God has put a rainbow in the sky that speaks to us of the goodness of God. And that rainbow says God won't judge the world even though men do the most awful things constantly. Nations do the most awful things. God will show his goodness to all men and women. There is what we call the common grace of God. The loveliest gifts that God gives. The precious gifts of family life and uh, intelligence and ability to communicate and compassion and justice and wisdom and uh, medical scientific progress. All those come from a good God. The gods of the heathen weren't like that. The gods that the prophets of Baal worshipped on the Mount Carmel, they cried to God and shouted to God until they couldn't shout anymore. They were too hoarse. So they danced before him and jumped. And then they took knives and cut themselves so that their blood 
were shed so that this God, why didn't he answer them? Why didn't he send fire down to consume the sacrifice that they'd put on their altar? They were perplexed. God is long-suffering and God keeps his word. God keeps his promise. God is good to everybody. And God has been good to you. All that you have received and all the kindness and the grace and the intelligence and the love of family and the prosperity that God has given to you. The way that you've been led into contact with Christians and you've been brought here and you're listening to the Bible and you're singing the praise of God. That's because God is good to you. And then, um, he's good in the way he has redeemed his own people. That he is determined to save a vast company, like the sands on Aberystwyth Beach. You can't count the grains of sand there are. And so when John sees the company of people finally that are assembled before God, they are innumerable. He has difficulty with his calculator to ascertain just how many there are. Huge numbers, vast numbers. Sin has abounded, but grace now much more abounds. And God has put all things that touch these people under an obligation to work for their good. Now, that good is not their happiness. It's not then that they'll be free from anguish and heartache at times. But all things will work for the end of making them like Jesus Christ. Christ-likeness. That is his determination, whatever it is. You know, um, some of you are reading Thomas Watson's All for Good. The Divine Cordial, it used to be called. It's a series of sermons that Thomas Watson preached on Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God. And you know how he divides that book up? The first half of that book? The best things work together for good. And then the second half of that book says, The worst things work together for good. And we have to gather together every little bit, every atom, every subatomic particle of faith. We have to gather it together and we have to set it in that promise and in the goodness of God that he will accomplish these things for us. He will supply all our need in his goodness according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus like all you have needed. God has been with you through dark times when you've needed his arm about you and his compassion and his help. God has been so good to you. And his promises, they're all, yes, amen, God says. If he has said it, he will do it. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. And all who come to him, and put their trust in him, will have rest. God is a God who keeps his word. God is good. God is straight. God, today, in a million pulpits all the world over, is speaking to men and women, and helping them, and building them up, and drawing them to 
himself. And after death there's a judgment, and that judgment will be a good judgment. It won't be a mean judgment. The judge won't be bribed. He won't have a a blindfold over his eyes so that he can't distinguish between right and wrong. He'll bring every fact into consideration and there he is set at his right hand, Jesus Christ, who has suffered his judgment for our sins so that we receive mercy because he received condemnation. The judgment will be a good judgment. The Lord is good in all he does. That's the first thing I want you to learn. That's why God has brought you here this morning to tell you That the Lord Jehovah is good. The second thing is that he is a stronghold in the day of trouble. That's that's the second thing, isn't it? A refuge, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Now that's very interesting. The juxtaposition of those two phrases. The Lord is good. Well, then it's going to be an easy life for us, isn't it? And there's going to be no trouble and difficulty But the next phrase is, he's a stronghold in the day of of trouble. So, there are going to be days of trouble that come into everyone's life. Because this is a fallen world. And there's a God of this world that stirs the pot. And uh, we are wrestling with principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And so, Nahum says these two things. He says, God is good. Amen. And there are days of trouble. Shouldn't there be days of trouble? If the church hated our Lord, shouldn't it hate us if we are faithful to him and say what he says? And tell the world, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. If you love him, keep his commandments. We say to men and women, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. The church is attacked by the gates of hell. The church is under the curse. Uh, We groan. Some of you have known fearful providences in these last weeks. And mortality is written across every one of us there. Are days of trouble? While life and thought and being last or immortality endures, men and women, there are days of trouble. But then um, it says really, the day of trouble... And the King James Version picks that up. Um, He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. There are sometimes special times, special periods, special uh, testings, uh, when the temptations that come to us are full and frontal. The psalmist says, iniquities against me prevail from day to day. So there are real troubles a period of intensification when one trouble seems to beckon to another and it comes galloping into our lives and we're knocked for six and the doorbell rings the phone goes somebody comes we hear something another trouble and another trouble come into our lives at times like that that come into the lives 
came into the life of the Apostle Paul and it came into our life too. Name says, there's a refuge, there's a stronghold in the day of trouble that you can go to. There's a Wartburg castle where Luther could go after the Diet of Worms when they wanted to burn him alive. And there he was kept safe and he could translate the Bible into German during that year he was there. There's a castle in Aberystwyth. They say that there are more castles in Wales than in any other country in Europe. I don't know. It must be per head of population or something like that. You, you can see that it's a castle. All right, can't you? It's ruined, but you can see where the portcullis was and the towers are there. And when Viking ships came and the enemy came to plunder, then trumpets sounded and fires were lit and people came from um, over the hills, over the wine, Penrincourt. They came and fled to the castle. Into the castle they came and the drawbridge came up and the portcullis came down and the soldiers stood with their bows and arrows at the top to protect the people. There was a place for them to go. There's a place for us to go. There's a rock that is higher than ourselves that we can go when the great floods came, when the storms blow. There's a place of refuge for us. How often the conflict, when pressed by the foe, I have breathed out my, I have fled to the refuge and breathed out my woe. How often, when trials like sea billows roll, have I hidden in thee, O thou rock of my soul. The Christian is so blessed that he has a, a king who protects him, a kingdom with great border walls that keep all its inhabitants safe. In other words, we have someone to go to in times of trouble. A mighty fortress is our God. You remember how you see that in the scriptures. You see it when two sisters and their brother walked together, loved together. He protected them and worked for them and they cooked and and they were imaginative and inventive and they had so happy a relationship there in Bethany and one day he came home and he said oh I don't feel well at all I feel, I feel so weak and none of the homespun remedies could help him and he lay down and was unconscious and they sent a message to Jesus they went to their refuge in a day of trouble he whom thou lovest is sick they said Well, he was a man like all of us, and all of us know sicknesses. And uh, he chastens those he loves. They sent a call to God. They didn't just say, well, God is sovereign, and he's arranged this now, and he's done this. They said to the pastor, my husband is sick, pray for him. They said in the prayer meeting, will you pray for so-and-so, because he's sick. The song says, the hymn says, Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving 
Overjoys departed, tell it to Jesus. Do you fear the gathering clouds of sorrow? Tell it to Jesus. Are you anxious about tomorrow? Tell it to Jesus. Are you troubled at the thought of dying? Tell it to Jesus. For God's kingdom, are you sighing? Tell it to Jesus. Because uh, he will undertake. He's a refuge in the day of trouble. He is. When Herod killed uh, John the Baptist, uh, then his disciples took his body and his head up and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. I'm telling you, don't keep your needs and your sorrows bottled up within you. Go and tell the Lord everything. He numbers the hairs of your head. You are really precious to him. There was an old tract and it fell or out of the pages of an old, even older second-hand book. It was being used as a bookmark, and then it was forgotten, and somebody found it. And it was called Tell Jesus. When anxious at the crimson tide that flowed from his dear wounded side, should for thy cleansing be applied, tell Jesus. When saddened by... The strength of sin that often disturbs thy peace within and victory seems so hard to win. Tell Jesus when life brings disappointments keen and fancy paints a fairy scene of all the sweets there might have been. Tell Jesus when vision of the coming years wakes in thy bosom anxious fears of what may be when parting nears. Tell Jesus when death, regardless of thy moan, has claimed thy dearest for his own, O oh, carry not thy grief alone. Tell Jesus, when in his service oft depressed, that few receive the heavenly guest, be not discouraged like the rest. Tell Jesus. There was a day when many people left Jesus, and Jesus didn't shrug. He turned to the twelve and he said to them, Will you also go away? And the spokesman Peter replied then, well, To whom? If we go away from Jesus, to whom can we go? What else is there? If you reject my Savior, the one who will never leave us, who will work all things together for our good, the one who is a refuge for us, who have you got to turn to. The one who says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. That we won't face that last breath alone. To whom will you go if you don't want my Savior? Who will you go in crisis situations when you are laboring and heavy laden because of your sin? Who will you go to find cleansing and forgiveness? When you're troubled by guilt, when you're filled with fear, when you're anxious and worried, to whom will you go when you are seriously ill? To whom will you go when there's trouble in the family, when you're filled with doubts, when you need some guidance? How should I live? When you feel your weakness, who will you go to for strength? When you are unemployed and the money doesn't pay the bills, and you've got to put food on the table for 
yourself and your wife and your children, who will you go to when you're worried about the evils that you see in, in the world today and groan because of the incessant bad news that there is on the news? When you're afraid of dirty bombs? When you're concerned about immorality? When you're fearful about violence and crime? When your marriage is on the rocks, who are you going to go to? When your children start saying to you, uh, they're bored with church. And they start staying out late at night. When they reject your guidance, who are you going to turn to then? When you're all alone, when dementia comes and old age comes, when you're facing the death of a loved one, who are you going to turn to? If you reject my Savior in the day of trouble, who have you got? If your house is destroyed by some accident, an electric fault, and there's a fire, if your car breaks down and fails its MOT, who will you go to in every crisis? For purely material things, there are experts, aren't there? Your car's broken down, you go to the garage, the... Uh, white box machinery works and you bring in the electrician and the repairman. But in spiritual crises, people behave horrendously, foolishly. I read a statistic in the paper yesterday that one person in three has had dealings with spiritists has tried to contact the dead for advice in the 21st century in Wales. If they have marriage problems, they'll go to a general practitioner. And if their children aren't, aren't doing well in, in school, they'll, they'll go to the, the doctor, uh, they go to the teacher about it, or to PTA nights and so on. Where can you be sure of wise counsel and be certain that what you are told is true and right? Some people go to horoscopes. A girl was working in an office, an open plan office here in town, and she came to me and she said, it's really so funny. The girls come and they take their coats off and they hang up their coats and they look and they chat to one another and then they brought the paper with them and they all go to the horoscopes. And they read to one another and they giggle about the horoscopes of the tall, dark, handsome men they're going to meet that day and they laugh about it. But they always read it because they have no one to go facing the future alone. Some go to drugs, some go to pubs, some go to cults, some go to communes, some go on the road. To whom will you go? In every need, in every crisis, material and spiritual. Here is one, listen. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Go to him, go to him for forgiveness. Never mind how bad, how foolish, how you've hurt people really deeply go to him because that's why he came he didn't come to look for good people he came to seek 
sinners. To help them. To save them. To change them. Go to him for protection. When you go off in the car, a little prayer, Lord, let me get to Shrewsbury safely now. Let me get over the A45. Let me get over the mountains well. Protect me. There was a man who he had an axe head. And he borrowed it from a friend. It was very valuable. It fell into a lake. And the man was broken hearted. But God restored the axe head to that man. God is concerned about the material things of your life. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. This is the Jesus. We, we preach to you when death comes near and sometimes you have a, a pain and it goes down your arm and you, you think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to die yet. Jesus will be with you. He's ordained the time and the place. He's going to keep you. He's warmed the death, the bed of death, by lying in that tomb for three days. Death is not cold and fearful. When you are trusting in Jesus, a sovereign protector I have, unseen, yet forever at hand, unchangeably faithful to save, almighty to rule and command. What a stronghold. He has all the resources of the angels of heaven, of the Holy Spirit, at his command. He can help you. Help you ford any river and climb any mountain and carry any, any burden. By him, you can love your enemies. You can forgive those that have hurt you. You can forgive them 70 times 7. You can turn the other cheek if it's patience you need. If it's gentleness. If it's kindness you need. You can go to him. And out of the fullness of his grace, he will give to you. And grace for grace, he's acceptable accessible to us. I'll never leave you, he says. I'll never forsake you. Go to him. He's the refuge. He's the stronghold. In the day of trouble, he is. Wouldn't you be foolish if you were living when the Viking marauders, the rapists, the plunderers arrived and you heard the trumpet blast sounding and you said, oh, we'll get by. And they came with their horned helmets and their swords and took you and your wife and your children. There's a refuge for you. And lastly, then, the third thing God wants you to know is that he cares for those who trust in him. He knows those that trust in him. That's, you know, why the, you know why the NIV has translated it wisely by caring because to know in the Bible isn't just cerebral, like 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's not cognizance. But to know in the Bible is to, is to love, isn't it? God says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Well, he knows all about the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Welsh. He knows about Every one of us. He knows us. 
We are told that Adam knew his wife Eve. Well, that wasn't simply that he knew she was five foot two with eyes of blue. But that he, he knew her. He knew her passionately. He knew her lovingly. She was one with him. So here is God's love for us. He will say to people, on the day of judgment, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't live for me. You didn't think of me. You didn't want me. Depart from me. He will say, this is the great message of Hosea. It's the great message of Ephesians 5. Christ loving the church. Christ desperately in love, going to the cross for the church, taking the church's judgment, taking her condemnation. Christ loving the church, giving himself for her. So you read back all the commitment of a man to his wife, all the jealousy he has that she should be his forever and ever. God's love for his people. God paying the price, clearing the debt of his people. It's a love that's prodigal. It's a love that pa- that's passionate. It's a love that doesn't spare his own son. That muddled, confused weaklings like you and I should be spared. God desperately in love with his people. He knows, he cares for those that fear him. For some of you, maybe it's the most difficult part of, of your theology. That you are acquainted with people in your family who've gone through horrendous times of suffering. That your mother passed away and, and suffered for a long time. And uh, you find it so very hard to think, uh, how could God love and allow this to happen? Well, here is the book of Nahum. And here is the prophet, and he cares for those who fear him. He does care for us. For those who trust in him, he cares for us. Today we say, well, who can you trust? You've been let down by uh, a phone call that uh, purported to come from the police, or purported to come from the bank, no, purported to come from a, a businessman who wanted to help you and help you with your money and you trusted him and you've lost a great deal of money. Who can you trust? You say. You made marriage vows with the deepest sincerity but your husband broke those marriage vows. There was a builder and he said for a certain price he could... Uh, do something in your house. He could lay a fine tarmac driveway or he could put up an extension. It was a poor job and it cost you just as much to have it fixed as he had charged you in the beginning. Who can you trust? Here's someone. Here's someone you can trust. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can trust him. You can trust everything he said. Everything he did, you can trust him. You can trust your whole life to him. Your dear children, you can trust to him. Your husband, your wife, your parents, you can trust everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of your total trust. 
He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. He won't answer all your questions now. But eternity will not be a place of distrust or perplexity. Nahum says, I trusted him. Every Christian here will say, yes, I, I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust them. Saints and martyrs, preachers and missionaries, Chinese rice farmers, Wall Street bankers, Africans, Europeans, South and North Americans, young and old, they will say to you, we put our trust in him. We found that he's faithful. All we have needed, his hand has provided He's been wonderful in his faithfulness. There have been tough times, but he's helped us through them. And most of all, we found when we came to him and put ourselves in his hands, he heard and he answered. He forgave us our sins. And he gave us eternal life. Three things God wanted you to know. So he got you out of bed, and he got you into your cars, and he got you onto the street, you walked down here, and you've all gathered here today to hear about a prophet called Nahum, of whom you know so very little. But one day he said three things to you that you must never, never forget. Firstly, that our God, the Lord Jehovah, he's good. And secondly, that this Lord, this God, he's a refuge for us in the day of trouble. And thirdly, that he cares for those who put their trust in him. He really does care. He remembers that we are dust because he was once dust himself. And he knows what you're going through just now. Three things God wants you to know. Please know them and learn them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, please help us now as we've studied these familiar words and they are balm to our souls. They're comfort to us in our sadness. They're strength to us in our weakness. We pray, Lord, that us uh, faith is the evidence of things not seen, that we will, through puzzling times in days of distress, yet know that these things are true about you and that we'll know increasingly your goodness and know what it is to come to this great stronghold, this mighty fortress whom thou art and that, uh, that you really care for every one of us. You wouldn't have brought us here and told us these good things if you didn't care for us. Never stop caring for us please, especially today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.